Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. Bonjour on day one of the French Open 2021. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my fellow Francophile, apparently based on his reaction to my bonjour, Andrew Eccles of The Spin, who returns to NCR. Andrew, bienvenue. Welcome to NCR. How are you? How was your day one of the French Open? Bonjour, Benjamin. Uh, thank you for having me back. Um, yeah, here we are. The French Open has started. <laughs> it's been a journey already. It's been one day, and I'm kind of ready for the finals. Honestly, <laughs> let's just do it. Yeah, it's been a it's been a kind of crazy couple of days um, before the French Open even started. So I'm sure we'll we'll get into that. Yes. So this was an exhausting day because the tournament decided to put Naomi Osaka on first, and this is sort of she's become the story of this tournament. I'm still fascinated a little bit by like why this became this perfect storm story. I think I understand that more than I did probably when I did the previous episode talking about it with Timani uh, before we did the draw show. Like Naomi Osaka being this public figure that she is and all that she symbolizes and stands for and represents is this young, successful, powerful woman of color who's made a lot of money and faced all sorts of brands taking a stand against an institution that is perceived as old-fashioned and white and male probably also and unfair to people who based on her framing of it i think it's a very attractive sort of polarizing story for a lot of people to to feel like they can expound on without being part of this world i mean like piers morgan just today tweeted about it which was like the ultimate sign that this has gone far too far we've entered the gates of hell we've well certainly we were maybe already in there just ascending to further rings of hell Mm -hmm. uh but circles of hell, whatever they call them. I'm not too familiar with hell, thankfully. But yeah, so Osaka goes, plays, does her wins against Patricia Maria Sig, which was not an easy first round match. Uh, four and six, so Sig played mm-hmm. well. Osaka played fine. And uh, does a brief encore interview in which they gave her flowers for Mother's Day, which was confusing, but I guess a nice gesture. And then she did a brief TV interview with Japanese TV for Wow Wow, who she has a contract with to appear with. And then she didn't do her press. And then she, and I'm going to start with this story, then we'll get to team losing and stuff like that later. But she doesn't do her press. She gets a $15,000 fine. It's a big fine. Because uh, mm-hmm. usually when press has been skipped in the past, I know it can say in the rules up to 20000 but usually it's more in the range of like three to five when it's happened in the past. So this was a, a big fine because I think I said, as I said on the show with Tumani, this was like a premeditated kind of offense. And I think they saw that. Like this is, most tennis code violations are sort of crimes of passion. You know, they're right. done in the heat of the moment. They're done because something's not going well. You got a call against you. You lost a point. You smash a racket. You yell at the chair empire. You hit a ball out of the stadium. You curse. Whatever it is, it's almost always like in the moment. But the, the premeditation of this, I think, made them sort of take it more seriously. It was a more clear challenge to the system and the status quo and the sort of an existential almost challenge, I heard someone say, to the, you know, existence of or the tennis ecosystem of, you know, right. the media you know, helping make the tournaments relevant and, and her stepping up and challenging. Yeah, that. she told them she was going to break a rule and that she'll keep breaking a rule. So, right. of course, they're going to start by enforcing it severely because they know that she's going to do it several times as long as they... she's 
winning matches. And I think that's the thing that's really remarkable about it. It's like, we just don't see that. You don't see, you know, I don't know, Nick Kyrgios say, I'm going to hit a ton of ball out, balls out of the stadium today. Like, I'm going to break all right. my rackets today. You don't see, they, they all, like, it happens in the moment. And that this was so uh, telegraphed is, makes it pretty, pretty unique. And I think it sort of sets the stage for that sort of showdown. And anyway, so then today, the Grand Slams hit back with a statement from uh, the Grand Slam boards. It was signed by all four Grand Slams representatives of, anyway, saying things including the Roland Garros team's asked her to reconsider her positions and tried unsuccessfully to speak with her to check on her well-being, understand the specifics of her issue and might be what might be done to address it on site. One other thing I didn't mention, yes, the whole mental health sort of phrasing and, and framing of this conversation, I think, did also make it even buzzier because that's yeah extremely a, that's, that's, I think a, that's an extremely important factor of of this is the mental health angle alongside completely. everything but we'll get to that we'll get to all minute. that anyway so i'm just getting the news part done then we'll have a deeper conversation talk about what you wrote for the spin and all those things following the lack of engagement by Naomi osaka the australian open roland garros this is from the statement the australian open roland garros wimbledon and the us open jointly wrote her to check on her well-being and offer support underline their commitment to all athletes well-being and suggest dialogue on the issues. She was also reminded of her obligations, the consequences of not meeting them, and that rules should apply equally to all players. Naomi Osaka today chose not to honor her contractual media obligations. The Roland Garros referee has therefore issued a $15,000 fine. Then it goes on, the mental health of players competing in our tournaments and on the tours is of the utmost importance to the Grand Slams. We have significant resources dedicated to player well-being. In order to improve, however, we need engagement from the players to understand their perspective and find ways to improve their experiences saying they have a successful track record on this count and then saying how much the the slams value the media basically and then the more threatening part comes uh we have advised Naomi Osaka that should she continue to ignore her media obligations during the tournament she would be exposing herself to possible further code of conduct infringement consequences as might be expected repeat violations attract tougher sanctions including default from the tournament and the trigger of a major offense investigation that could lead to more substantial fines and future grand slam suspensions we want to ensure, underline that all rules are in place to ensure all players are treated exactly the same, no matter their stature, beliefs, or achievement. As a sport, there's nothing more important than ensuring no player has an unfair advantage over another, which unfortunately is the case in this situation if one player refuses to dedicate time to participate in media commitments while the others all honor their commitments. All grandsons remain committed to continually reviewing uh, and discussing opportunities to improve aspects of the player experience but we consider this is only ever achieved through respectful and constructive discussions. So a bunch of that touches on there, obviously. But the main sort of thing they're sort of, I think, blanching, I think it's fair to say, it's her doing this unilaterally and mm -hmm. not engaging, you know, with them. And I do believe they, 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 they did, you know, reach out to her and wanted to be like, hey, let's try to, you know, fix this before it gets to the point of you, you know, officially making good on your your promise or your threat, or however you want to say it, to to not do uh, press and right. and make and to make and to force us into this corner where we have to, you know, sanction you or fine you or penalize you. What do you, what do you make of this of this statement here? I think there's a couple of things going on with this statement. I mean, I agree. Like, I believe them that they've reached out and that they haven't heard anything. Um, I don't see why they would put that in there if it wasn't the case. Yeah, I actually think that this statement is more for the benefit of other players than it mm -hmm. is for Naomi. I think that the reason that they're going so hard so fast is basically to send a warning to the rest of the field like don't follow suit 
because you know they don't want this to become a pattern with the players and threatening to not be allowed to participate in slams is a really good way to stop it from becoming a trend so i think that this is actually a lot more for the rest of the field than it is actually just a a shot at naomi and i think that's probably going to be a very effective way of of stopping that from happening even though like there doesn't seem to be like a big trend of players being like yes we agree i mean in general the trend has been the opposite so um, but you know it's there as a warning just in case i'll get to that in a second but i do think they almost kind of i understand people reading this and saying why they're coming on way too strong but Mm -hmm. i do almost feel like they had to be sort of draconian to set a tone of like we can't stand for this sort of again open like premeditated flouting or thwarting of our of our rules in this way that you did it and we're trying to start this sort of revolution you know quote unquote in it and that's what elena vesnina did in press she said you know referred to it she was more supportive than other players have been in osaka but sort of said like so like oh she's trying to do a little revolution to put like her fist up like a little like revolution gesture from vesnina uh which was sweet but generally i get to that point like the one thing one major thing that has changed since i did the last show about this with tumani is that players have been asked about the situation with osaka and really they're not lining up behind her like they're not mm-hmm. saying we're totally with you, you know. We we agree with your framing of of the of what the press conference experience is like and the harm that it does. I mean, really, no one has bought into that part, which is the, I think the most crucial part of her argument. People have said, you know, I respect her right to make this choice, or I understand that mental health is important. Things like that they've said. But yeah. No course. one is really going to her spot of the detriment of of media conferences. Um, which I know a lot of the media has appreciated because felt felt very called out by Naomi setting the tone in the way that she did that way. So this is where the statement is really confusing to me. Um, Which statement? The Naomi's statement. Yeah. Naomi's original statement. Because mm-hmm. like I and, and I wrote about this a little bit, but I feel like it is quite unwieldy and and kind of bridges two things right so she talks about finding the press conferences um repetitive and and you know she doesn't basically doesn't enjoy the experience of being asked the same questions or being asked questions that put doubt in her mind so that's like one aspect right she's saying press conferences aren't effective they need to change um but then on the other hand, she's also talking about mental health and needing a break for mental health reasons. Like, yes, these two things feed each other. And, and you know, I understand that. But it's it's hard to tell which thing is the more pressing thing. Is it like right now I'm having a mental health crisis and need mm-hmm. to take a step back? Or is it this is something that I want to see change and reformed like in the long run and I'm taking a stand for that reason? And it can be a little bit of both, but it's it's just not very clear right now. And I think that's what's leading to a lot of fan frustration, unnecessary, I think, fan frustration, that's then harboring all this anger against Naomi and against press in a way that I find troubling um, and, and just deeply kind of unfair in both directions. What do you mean? Can you expand on that? What do you mean by the unfairness in each direction? I mean, I don't think that this statement is a good reason to attack Naomi, uh, first of all, as like a spoiled brat, which is a lot of the tone of like, I would say like half 
the fans, right? Mm-hmm. Say so, um, half of what you see when you talk about this is people being like, oh, well, she made 55 million last year and yep. um, now she just wants to kind of do what she wants and she doesn't feel like she has to do like the job because she's better than everybody else. I think that that's just not the Naomi Osaka that we know. <laughs> I think that she's been around for years now and that's never been the Osaka personality. She's a very thoughtful person um she's really great in press and that just doesn't line up with with the person that she's told us that she is for the last few years so i find it really frustrating that people's immediate immediate assumption is oh well she's spoiled now because she's successful which by the way is always what people think of like young women the minute they become successful in sports and in other fields Mm -hmm. that side first of all really frustrating the other side the suddenly i mean it's actually not that sudden but let's just for the sake of argument the sudden like oh the tennis press is like the evil fake news media and like they've driven you know naomi to not be able to come to press anymore and uh, and sending messages to you know media about how like evil they are and things which to me is like a trend um we've seen for years in all areas of media um which i find deeply problematic because mm-hmm. i think that trying to diminish and attack um media is always a terrible road to go down and i don't think that's what naomi intended through her statement and i think that of course there's always going to be a side of of fans who then just like immediately jump to our oh, evil tennis press the anger in both directions here is so unfounded and so overblown. And I really would like everyone to kind of take a little bit more time to maybe just listen and see how the situation develops rather than just like attacking everyone. It's very strange behavior, the way that this is blown up. No, I think that's all right. And, you know, I think Naomi sent a tweet after her match which was sort of you know semi-cryptic but it said anger is a lack of understanding change makes people uncomfortable and to get i think the first part of her statement you know rings very true and i think honestly a lot of that stems from her statement initially being muddled and being unclear and being difficult to understand you know even as someone who knows the press environment very well who knows naomi i think very well as a person as a public figure and as a person you know i work with on a sort of you know colleague level essentially as someone I see at the workplace or used to back when I went to the workplace um, which is maybe part of it that we that, that she's been you know separate from the media for a while so maybe that sort of distorted things for her or changed things for her um, or made things come across differently than they used to that's entirely possible but I also do think that you know it, it's the the very broad statement she was making were, are difficult to to sort of confirm from again from sort of like what were the inevitable experiences what what is the mental health situation more clearly because that's that's still a bit ambiguous um and i also want to say like i i you know i got we got a couple feedback from people feedback to the last episode was mixed as is expected for something this sort of polarizing that people can see very different ways absolutely i and speak for tumani too who was on that episode like hope naomi osaka is doing well with her mental health and wish her nothing but the best for her mental health and you know hope that she's in a, as good a place as she can be as soon as possible with that. You go Well, ahead. this is the other this is the other part that is frustrating to me about the anger around this is like if 
what Naomi is trying to communicate is that she's having like mental health problems right now, then should we expect her message to be like perfect and unmuddled? Like, this is the thing that I was going to say, like, this is the thing that sort of for me is maybe more worrying, honestly, is if she's sort of mentioning in, and again, not sort of the most clear language, but sort of using the, the word mental health, phrase mental health, term mental health in her statement. And the statement also feels sort of honestly messy and out of character for her. and doesn't really feel like normally much more controlled and precise and, and statement that she usually makes. And that this one felt like it was really sort of unleashing a bunch of things at once with relative, I would say value judgment but probably carelessness like in terms of just being imprecise and and leading to blowback against herself and against other people who i don't think she intended to be against you know like you know the media who she does sort of say in one part like oh a couple media are fine like, that didn't really inoculate against anything uh for people who you know in terms of myself and other media getting blowback and people assuming that we're the problem uh from this uh which i don't think was fair to, to that group of people who i think have been who generally she's been on really good terms with as far as we know for her right. whole career, especially the Japanese media, who I think have really done a great job, you know, accommodating her and, and her language, you know, in English and everything like that. Sort of, and it, yeah, the way she said it was, even though I don't, you know, really don't think it was about me or anyone, honestly, in particular, it was hard not to take personally because of how, how she said it. So all those things, I think, speak to sort of a situation and the sort of rashness of this, a situation where the mental health side is, you know, more potentially concerning whether whether it comes from something whether it comes from you know a, a mental health i don't know how to you know armchair diagnosis too much but like but it comes from being on a losing streak by her standards or not having good results and that sort of sets her off or in a tennis sense or whether it comes from something else i don't know but it is it is sort of out of character enough for her that that part is concerning to me and this is why i think the thing that i I'm really focused on wanting people to do is um, be patient and listen because we don't know, like we can't know like the state of somebody's no. mental health who like, unless they tell us. Right. And like, we shouldn't know unless they tell us like that's perfectly reasonable. And I think that a thing I have found frustrating to see is a lot of people diagnosing um her or kind of saying like oh of course you know how can somebody who's just made like 55 million in one year possibly be having like mental health issues like oh poor you you're so like rich and successful and my answer to that is kind of like yeah like if you if you are a young person in your early 20s who has skyrocketed not to the top of tennis to the top of sport <laughs> to the top of sport and you are like this has happened out of nowhere of course that's going to have an effect on you like of course that's going to change how you see the world and how and how the pressure that is on you every single day like success kind of breeds that pressure they, they, they don't say mo money mo problems for no reason right it's not like her <laughs> life gets easier because she becomes this bigger and bigger superstar I mean, right it might make the fifteen thousand dollar fine less of an issue but it doesn't mean it doesn't make you know it easier to go to bed at night or to to, you know, to to drown out uh, doubts or or critics or whatever it may be. That part doesn't. You can't. She's not stuffing her ear. You know, ears with with hundreds. Right. So I I just I hope like look I hope that Naomi does not get defaulted from Roland Garros. I hope that Naomi does not get suspended from other slams. Like I hope that there's a solution that can be 
come to between these different parties so they can figure something out that works. And look, if there needs to be some media reform, like, definitely, like, that's something that I think is totally fair to address. Like, let's look at maybe how things can be changed if there's, like, a running problem that has been identified with other players. But in the meantime, like, in the meantime can we all just take a step back and like give this the room it needs to breathe and so that we're actually coming at it from a place of understanding rather than just like hurling abuse in all directions where it's not deserved so i mean i that that's my that's my plea to everybody listening is like if you can be the person today who's like patient and like maybe doesn't tweet something like choose to put your phone down perhaps like i think that is like a really good approach right now that's totally, totally fair. Yeah, the, the idea of like media reflection, I've seen a lot of people from outside media say that. It's been something the media itself is not really, tennis media has certainly not been like, yeah, we need to change. And honestly, it's obviously that's just part of it's being defensive about this, mm-hmm. which I totally understand from people and probably feel a bit that way myself. But also, then again, like none of the other players really echoed what she was saying. And if this is just her having, this is, I don't want to sound dismissive, but sort of a moment where she's upset about something and taking out on this, if there's not, I think, a sort of wider push for, if there, if, if there isn't more energy towards oh, people thinking the system is broken, like I saw someone compare this to like a civil rights boycott, which I thought was, again, like going way too far like ahead of ourselves on anything. Like, I think there has to be more clear you know, proof or substantiation that the system is what's causing this, not that just that she's having difficulties. And again, I hope that her difficulties are assuaged and stuff. But, and again, this is why I didn't really have an issue necessarily even with her skipping press. Like, just the idea of like, hey, I'm not feeling up for doing press. I'm not going to do press. That does not bother me. Like, I don't think it bothers almost anybody. Like, it's not like I'm saying you must do this to support the tour or whatever. And some people are saying that. That's not been my, my thought. My thought is just I didn't like the way in which she phrased it as a sort of broadside against uh, people in the media who I think have been, you know, good colleagues to her. Right. And but to your question to of where it goes now, like hoping they don't default her. I hope they don't default to that. That'd be a r- ridiculous way to ex- to end a two Grand Slam winning streak. Honestly, yeah, that would be a real shame. But I do also think that like it it's sort of heading to an to an impasse if if she stays. Stubborn. I hope that there's, you know, there's going to be a few days because of the three round, three day first round at the French Open before she plays again. She's not playing again until Thursday, I think, or no, uh, Wednesday, which is still a few days away. So hopefully that gives them time to, to get her in a room and to sit down and find something that, that she can do. Um, or honestly, you know, uh, if she's not feeling up to participating in the tournament to the way that the tournament is insisting that she participate in the tournament, if she chose to withdraw from the tournament, you know, I think that would be a, a reasonable, a, a reasonable choice for her. You know, yeah. like, I'd be, I'd be much more comfortable with that than her getting defaulted. But I also understand again, why, why the tournaments are, are drawing a, a line in the sand here. I think that just like all of this needs time for the temperature to go down. Like, that's what this needs. Like, all of this needs time for the temperature to go down. Maybe once that happens, other players will also be like, oh, actually, yes, now that I've had time to think about it, (laughs) these are things I would like to see change. Or maybe they'll continue to be like, no, I'm good. But, like, it's what I hear from people. From what I hear from people on site, the players are really not, are not having this. She's getting, like, the sort of chatter is 
can you believe, you know, how ridiculous she's being? Is the tenor of player mm-hmm. conversations there? They're just not. They're not like they're they're not buying it. And you know, and and she's not necessarily a sympathetic pl- figure on tour because she's better than that. She's winning, and she has more money. Like she's not someone who's going to engender a lot of sympathy, honestly, from her less successful peers. That that in itself, <laughs> what an effect that would have on your mental health. To, <laughs> to have all your colleagues feel that way about you. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully she's lonely okay. at the top. Yeah. It's lonely at the top. Hopefully she's okay. Hopefully she'll, if she's not okay right now, we'll be later. I just hope that there is a reasonable like compromise that everyone can come to. And the, the answer is not to scream at each other on social media. And hopefully if she is in need of help, that she gets help, you right. know? That's something else we haven't, other people haven't really discussed or it hasn't been part of the conversation. But like, if press conferences are something that is, I don't like this word, but like triggering, you know, negative mental uh, situations for her, find ways, there are probably ways to address that, to process those moments uh, that don't <laughs> involve this, you know, complete boycott, you know, right. this complete standoff. And there's ways to, to address that and mitigate that that I don't get the sense from talking to people who are more aware of what she's been doing, that like, that's just something she's doing or or been a larger issue. I think this was sort of a, this was her solution. This was her sort of first step to try to to do that. And uh, yeah, so we'll, it's, it's messy. It's not going away. And it's uh, yeah, it's a story that's really broken out of, out of tennis and gotten so much attention again for something that's like such a procedural, like mundane part of our, you know, the tennis media's jobs as they were, you know, like, Yes, players must come to press after after a match if requested. And right. so I also know that media requested or made sure to request her today so that she would get fined because people are petty like oh, that. Oh, interesting. Right. But also, because right. that, that, they didn't also they didn't want to be in a situation where like they'd be like, well, no one requested her. So I understand that thinking. But uh, yeah. What a ride. What a way to start the French Open. <laughs> Can we talk about the rest of the French Open briefly here? Let's um, do it. Uh Dominic Team was the big casualty of from the draw today. He was up two sets to none on Pablo Andujar and lost in five sets. Team had not played a lot this year, especially by his standards. Uh, lost fairly early at the French Open. Uh, sorry, at the Australian Open uh, to Dimitrov, and in, in very sort of lopsided straights, I believe. And then it didn't play much between Australia and Madrid. Had an okay run in Madrid, made semis, I believe. And then, yeah, loses uh, first round in Paris. Not a ton to say about this one, except for he just doesn't seem to be the sort of force he was. And he admitted sort of still, like, I guess, sort of a, a Grand Slam win hangover of some kind, which Lord knows we've seen on the women's side. Right. I mean, again, it shows you that sometimes success is actually uh, difficult to handle at first. So, mm-hmm. like, obviously, team going through some kind of struggle of his own, like, mentally adjusting to having won a slam. And it's just... He just hasn't recovered his game yet. And that pressure is clearly sitting with him a little bit. Um, I think teams like a quality enough player that he'll recover from this in time. He just kind of needs to shake off that, that slam win basically. Um, And then he'll be back. But yeah, for him to lose round one of the French is, uh, is a real problem um, for his year because the clay season is, is, uh, is important for him. Um, Yeah. It also totally even spreads out that bottom even more of the draw where you have 
he's out. He was the only person in that in that bottom half to ever won a, a Grand Slam before. Fifty nine total Grand Slam titles on the on the top half. One on the bottom half, which is now zero, uh, with team going out in the first round. Um, so yeah, he, he was in some ways sort of a favorite on paper from that point of view. Uh, being a number four seed, having been in a bunch of French Open finals before, or two before. Yeah, he's uh he's uh yeah, it makes things even more wide open for for some for some new noob to get through. Since I always like playing the very foolish like might Nadal lose game at the French Open, which I mean, he probably won't because no. it's Nadal at the French Open, but like I mean, there is kind of a scenario with, you know, Nadal and um uh Djokovic and Federer all being in the same half. There's mm-hmm. kind of like a vague potential of like Nadal and Djokovic tiring each other out in a semifinal. Sure. And then somebody like sits pass um, coming through from that bottom half and taking it. Like, do you think there's any chance of that? Or I mean, pretty, impossible, I mean, to, pretty impossible to rule Nadal. out this early, this far away from that. Right. <laughs> but one of the, one of the crazy things about Nadal is he's been such a great closer. Like he's under his two losses. Uh, one came in the third round, I think, against Soderling, and then one came in or maybe fourth, third or fourth. I can't remember. I think uh, anyway, and one came in the the quarterfinal against Djokovic uh, in twenty fifteen, and so which was really lopsided actually that match. And he, you know, it's once he gets into the final, he's been great in all those finals, and most of those finals haven't even been like super super. There's been no five set finals really. They haven't, he hasn't come that close to losing any of the thirteen of them against someone who's theoretically the best opposition. So, I mean, I think it's kind of a new exciting chance for someone else to lose to Nadal in a French Open final. I mean, <laughs> right, team has certainly exactly. done that before. So that's kind of my level of, like, intrigue at the moment uh, until proven otherwise. But, yeah, it's uh, – it's we'll see. It, it, I, what I like about this – and I said this during the draw show, even I did with Courtney, like, I like that the stakes are higher on the men's side. Like, more players are relevant. You get to keep track. And this is kind of what we had at the U.S. Open last year when Djokovic took himself out of that tournament. You know, mm-hmm. you suddenly get to look at the whole draw and be like, well, what about him? What about him? What about him? Like, they all have a chance. And normally that's not the way we feel about a more evenly distributed men's draw. But mm-hmm. here, at least someone has a chance to make a final. Yeah. And maybe more. Um, other things happened today. Just briefly, Kerber lost. Not a surprise. She's lost a bunch of uh, French Open first rounds. You want to talk about uh, Sabalenka a bit? Yeah, I think that Sabalenka has been one of the protagonists of the well, the clay, year, the clay. but the yeah, clay season, sure. certainly. And I, I, I know that Sabalenka's, you know, slam record isn't particularly good, but she's definitely going to be one of the people to watch. And uh, I think that every match she plays is going to feel high stakes because of that record and because of how good she's been in the clay season. So I'm personally getting kind of the biggest kind of major tournament feeling so far from watching Sabalenka. She played against mm. Anna Conja today. Um Good match. And it was a good match and Sabalenka managed to fight through it. So that was a, a good start for her. I think I think it was useful actually for Sabalenka to have a tough match um, to start the tournament and kind of get herself warmed up. And she's kind of playing down expectations as much as she can. Um, but yeah, I think that Sabalenka is going to be somebody really exciting to watch this tournament. And the other player that I really enjoyed watching today was Petra Kvitova, who um, mm. was actually, she was down a match point today and and saved it in fantastic cross-court <laughs> battering fashion. Um, and yeah, came back to win against uh, Greet Minnan 
Mm-hmm. So that was a, I think, a good a good match for um, Kvitova as well um, to come through. And last thing in the sort of results round roundup, condolences to Grigor Dimitrov, who was up five, uh, two sets and five one in the third, and had triple match point on Marcos Giron's serve at Love Forty, and then lost or lost that set from five one, Love Forty up, and then. Uh, lost six straight games and then was losing in the third set or fourth set when he pulled the record. So yeah. talk about just like bad timing to get that close to closing out a match. Uh, that's rough. That's, that's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah, yeah it's tough because he had injury issues that cut short his uh, or made him lose to uh, Karatsev or contributed his loss to Karatsev in Australia also uh, in that quarterfinal. So yeah, it's a rough break for, for Grigor. Again, another sort of name out of the bottom half and we'll see how the rest of these bottom boys go. Andrew, thank you very much for being on here and quickly Thanks, plug, plug your spin again while we're here. Oh yeah, please, please um, uh, subscribe to the spin. Um, you can find the link to the spin on my Twitter account, which is at AJ It'll be in the, in the description. Of the episode, It'll yeah. be in the description. Um, I wrote a short thing about Naomi Osaka um, today. So give that a read and uh, click subscribe uh, if you enjoy it. Thank you very much, Andrew. And we'll see you all later i want to thank our patreon slam champ backers we thank every episode if you want to support us on patreon as we do our thing during the french open you can do so at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining our slam champ backers we thank every episode are Susanna w sean mulroy mary carillo leo williams liz kennel jonathan weinbaum jean simeon james hindle audrey wellens antonio maycumber anna valinder and timothy Liu, and our goat backers mike nicole copeland pam shriver and j o d uh, follow us on Twitter as well at NCR underscore tennis and follow Andrew at AJ Eccles on there too. Also linked in the bio of the show, description of the show. And we'll see you all later. Did you watch Eurovision, Andrew? Oh, I sure did. What was your favorite? We'll make it an outro here. Oh, uh, France. I, France. I really, I really wanted France um, to win. I thought they were going to make it. We were big fans in this house. We actually loved the whole kind of group at the top it was a really good year we really liked ukraine we really liked um switzerland my old home country Mm -hmm. kind of so yeah it was really great and the uk deserved zero points they were terrible okay so here's the thing with the uk like i can't say they deserved points but they weren't the worst oh i thought they were were the the worst i thought germany was definitely the worst Oh, Germany was weird though. Like at least Germany was strange. Yeah, like, at, at least, least Germany at was least... Germany was polarized. Like that's the thing. Germany at least like I could tell like I can imagine someone liking this. It certainly was not me, but there was an audience for it. The thing with the UK is it had no appeal to anybody. And the thing the tough thing with, you know, as much as I think the results of Eurovision are always kind of, you know, whatever, it's well enough designed to pick a winner, but things get like the bottom is not really meant to pick the worst song very effectively because what it's talking about is the UK got zero points for everyone who doesn't know. And in both the televote and the jury, which has never been done before in this sort of new system of, of where they split it up in order to get points, you have to come in the top 10 for a country, for a country. Right? right. So that was really the issue with the UK. Like, I don't think many people probably put them in 26 out of 26 of the songs. Like I think, something would have annoyed you more like certainly Germany for me or Portugal for a lot of people. People didn't like if Portugal is more polarizing or honestly, even if you just don't like the, you know, screaming rock from Finland or whatever it might be, there'd be other things that you would see that like would annoy you more, but just, there was no, there was no chance of that really bland performance, kind of low energy performance getting into anybody's top 10. Like it was probably for me, it was probably like 20th. 
out of 26, but that's not going to do it. The worst thing is not people hating you. The worst thing is people being indifferent. Yeah. And like, I think you're better off like at least putting something interesting in the competition than putting like what that nothing. And I saw a lot of people, I'll stop talking about this in a minute, but I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, like, you know, this was political as usual. Like we get no votes because of politics. It's like, no, the UK, <laughs> we get no votes because we send terrible songs <laughs> to send something. I think better. the song isn't even that. The song is actually not that bad, but this, the staging was, and the importance is really uninspired. And those yeah. like huge trumpets, like that meant nothing. They had to be expensive too. What a waste. Yeah, it was, it was sad. It was, it was, it was not great. But anyway, the top, the top half was great. And France was the best. There you go. So here is Voila by Barbara Pravi, au revoir, mes amis, à bientôt. Aimez-moi comme on aime un ami qui s'en va pour toujours. Je veux qu'on m'aime parce que moi je sais pas bien aimer mes contours. 